You enjoying the reading this week? <laughs> uh, we're in that part of the, the book, uh, uh, or part of the Bible, the, those books that are a little bit difficult. Uh, now, by my math, um, if they say that it's true that uh, 21 days and you've got kind of a habit, that's good. Uh, then you should be noticing it's getting a little bit easier to do because we've just passed uh, 21 days uh, this week. Uh, so there's some, some difficult reading, but stick with it. It's only for about a week or so, and then it gets easier again. The, uh, you know, in, in reading, in some of you like to read, some of you don't like to read. And when, whenever you talk with people about what kind of books they like, it's kind of, oh, the conversation always gets interesting. Uh, people love to read uh, mysteries, and some people like to read kind of thriller books, and some people like to read... There's, there's all sorts of books that people like to read. Sci-fi, fantasy. And no one, as far as I, I can tell, likes to read manuals. Right? No one just goes, you know, oh, I love manuals. I, lo- I love reading those. Who likes that? I remember a, a long time ago... Uh, as bachelors, bachelors have junky cars. Uh, some of us never outgrow that. Uh, but I remember having having really bad cars, and and, and there's different kinds of people. Uh, so so sometimes you have. I was bachelors have either really small cars or really big cars too. If you've ever noticed that, there's there's no in between normal size. I was the kind that had the big cars. Uh, just huge boats, and then I went down to a Honda Civic once or so. But uh, uh, but but for the most part, I had I mean boats, just absolute barges, and uh, they would always be breaking down on me or doing something, and and you had to, every, the, the there was just one thing to do, because I couldn't afford taking it to a mechanic for you know whatever they charged an hour. Oh, they'd be in it. For forever, and I, you know, I, I couldn't do that. So I finally decided that I was gonna learn to fix things myself, unless it got too outrageous. And so you go down, and this is, you know, wait, this is twenty years ago. So, so you get the manual, right? You get, you get the manual. That's what there was. And if you owned your car long enough for more than one repair or two repairs, you know, until you decided to junk it and and pay $500 for another piece of junk, you know, you might get a couple of, you know, a couple of uses out of that manual. And then along came YouTube, right? YouTube is great. Love YouTube. And uh, just the guy shows you, you can do it, and and there it is, and it works. It's wonderful. Love, love YouTube. And uh, the only problem with that, of course, is that... um, that sometimes it, this does not work if it involves your computer. Because you have a problem with your computer and you go to YouTube and this guy, typically uh, 13 years old or younger, is telling you how to fix your computer, do this, and he clickety-clackety-clickety and he does not slow down. He's, he's just going, and, and you can't keep up with it. And even if you pause it and do it and pause it and hit that button and pause it and you get to the end and, and his is working and yours isn't. It's like, what did you do? How come you did it there? So I'm like, just, I, I want you to type it out. I want to be able to read on a piece of paper. This, this is when I want to get back to the manual, right? I want to get back to the manual, and I want to go and see, okay, type this, 
Hit enter. Okay, do this, type that, go here, do this. And I can see it in words, and it's wonderful, and that tends to work better for me. The Old Testament is, and, and write, write the law and all this part is the manual. It's nice that Jesus came along and, and, and showed us. Uh, he's, Jesus is kind of like the YouTube. He, he kind of came here and, and did it and said, okay, forget the manual for right now. Why don't you just watch me do it? Uh, and every once in a while, it's still nice. This, this Old Testament, uh, though, though we have a superior way of learning, it's nice sometimes to go back and read a manual portion, some, something that's a little bit difficult, and get some lessons out of, out of it this way. And that's what we're going to do today. And so we are in Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus chapter 1. And we're going to be reading the first five verses. We're going to be in a couple of different places uh, today, and not just one text. But Leviticus chapter 1. And I know you're thinking, how in the world uh, is he going to get something out of this today? Uh, but Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1, beginning, he says, The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. And he said, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either of the herd of the flock. And if the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he is to offer a male without defect. He must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. He is to lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He is to slaughter the young bull before the Lord and then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and sprinkle it against the altar on the sides of the tent, entrance of the tent of meeting. And this is just kind of the introduction to a long section about sacrifices, about offerings. There's a bunch of different offerings, and we're not going to be able to go through every one of them and get every detail, certainly. It's, it's amazing how many offerings they have. They have about five different types of offerings, main offerings. Um, four of them were, were animal sacrifices. Uh, one was your grain uh, and and then he gets through in the first five or six chapters, and then if that wasn't enough, he goes back through them and and tells you more about them. So let's start back over in a slightly different order, but let's start over and, and let me give you some more details about that. And actually, he's going to do it again uh, later on. Uh, so so there's a lot about sacrifices in here. But there are some things that these sacrifices all have in common. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And then we want to pull out some individual details. And get some big ideas. What in the world can we learn from all these offerings and sacrifices? And it's just, your eyes, just, you're kind of reading and you're like, you, you forget where you were. And, oh, did I read this already? This looks really familiar. There's a lot of killing and a lot of blood. And, and that's the first thing here. The first thing they have in common is you notice that there's a lot of blood uh, Leviticus chapter 6, verse 12. Uh, we, we've read it, but uh, basically, but I want to look at this a little bit closer. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 12. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. So, so the two things that we, we noticed, the first one we talked about a lot of blood, and here we talk a lot, a lot of burning. There's a lot of smoke. I don't know if you've ever smelt a, a burning carcass, but uh, it's nasty. 
It's gross. I used to work in fire and water damage restoration. Uh, and so, so here's how the, the order of events goes. Uh, there's a fire. So the first thing they do, of course, they're pouring water on it. Um, and, and when they get that under control, the next thing that happens is they come in and shut the power off and they call us. So we go and we do a board up to make sure, you know, there's no looting of it. Uh, and then for the next week or so, the, the uh, insurance adjusters and the, you know, this guy and, the, and this inspector, they, they're haggling over what the insurance is going to pay for it. And so when that's done, when they figure out what we're going to do, are they going to tear the building down? What's going to happen next? Well, a lot of times it's a, a salvageable thing, so, so they're going to salvage what they can, and that's when we go back in and we start taking out the belongings, get it down to the shell, and repair what you can, and start doing sheetrock work and whatever, and get it to where you know they want. If they want a contractor to to do that, then then they go ahead and get a different contractor. But we've we've done some. And let me tell you the first thing that happens. When we walk in there, we have you take that, take all the plywood off, and uh, you you put on a hazmat suit. We get a hazmat suit, and you, you, we had these gas masks, and, and they had little things. You, you unscrew the things, and they had these, this, this little screw-on can. And the can is filled with little pellets, little smelly pellets. They smell nice. And you screw those in because what's going to happen is you're going to walk over to some items, and you see this as it was. You go into people's houses, and you see how they were living right before it got dumped with fire and water. And, uh, and the first thing that you're going to do is you're going to get rid of the stuff in the refrigerator. And what's worse is if they happen to have a freezer. That's the worst. You open that puppy up, and you've got a side of beef in there that's been there rotting for a week. And that's the first thing I think of when I read this text. Is it just takes me all the way back to doing fire and water damage restoration. And I think about what this must have been like all day, every day, to be involved with this nasty, dead, burnt animals. And that's what their job was. How disgusting. It is gross. And then we go back to chapter 1, and we get this statement right here. And this blows my mind. Chapter 1, verse 17, He shall tear it open by the wings, not severing it completely. And then the priest shall burn it on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. This is, now, this is a poor person uh, offering. Where they would bring uh, less expensive animals. So, so they, they were able to, to, to do uh, birds instead of big animals that would cost too much. It is a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to God. Some of you say, a sweet-smelling aroma. And I'm telling you, I've been there and I've smelled it, and it's not sweet-smelling. But God has got a, a different sense of smell than me. Because of what it meant. God doesn't evaluate things like I do. See, for God, the process that took away sins was what smelled nice. And this is how he did it back then. Thank goodness that we have one sacrifice for all time in Christ, and we don't have to smell that all the time, and we don't have to see that all the time. Have you ever been conflicted at the Lord's Supper? Seriously. We think about this and what it means. 
And on one hand, I'm supposed to celebrate Christ's resurrection and, and, and the victory. But at the other hand, we're talking about Jesus' death. And how he was brutally murdered. And he's, he's just kind of conflicted. Well, this is kind of what it's like. And God says, oh, here's the sin and I want to take it away. And yet here's this process that we go through to get rid of it. It was disgusting. Because in the final analysis, the triumph outweighs the tragedy. It was a burnt and bloody process. The second thing we read right off the bat is that it was the best. Always the best. No defects. And when you get in, even the grain, when they, when they got into the land, the, the promised land, they got into Canaan, what we call Palestine. When they got there and they were going to get the land, he says, the first stuff that you grow is mine. The first stuff that you, 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 you see there, that's mine. I brought you out, it's mine. You give your best to me. And God wants us to give the best to Him. It is the first fruits. Burn offerings. I want to talk about some of the individual details. There's some different offerings. And we're going to talk about kind of some of the main ideas from each of these. There's five, as we said. And the first one is the burnt offering. And I want to read, <coughs> I want to read just a little bit. Uh, Leviticus chapter 6, verse 9. We kind of read this already. The burnt offering is just a little bit different. It's, a, it's not a specific offering. It's kind of a class of offerings. But Leviticus chapter 6, and he's going through this again. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 9. <clears throat> he says, Give Aaron and his sons this command. These are the regulations for the burnt offering. It shall remain on the altar throughout the night till morning, and the fire must be kept burning on the altar. So this thing was going all the time. And the burnt offerings were reason they're, I mean, everything was burnt. Why are these called the burnt offerings when everything was burnt? Well, because these were burnt up. These were cooked until they were ash. The rest of them were put on there for a little bit. Basically, the first barbecues, taken off, and that became the food for the priests and, and for the, the people who brought it. Um, and so, uh, the burnt offerings were completely consumed now, burnt offerings had actually begun before Moses' law. Uh, likely that's what uh, Abel brought. It's specifically referenced that, that Noah brought uh, a burnt offering after the flood. And Abraham was asked to bring Isaac as a burnt offering. God inter- intervened, uh, had planned to intervene, but he was, that was a planned thing. So, so, so Abraham was familiar with the terminology. And this is one of the things that we are completely consumed. That your life is completely given. I 
I want to talk about another offering. This is the, the oddball one, the grain offering, because it's the one that isn't an animal. In chapter 2, Leviticus chapter 2, verse 1-4, through four, he says, When someone brings a grain offering to the Lord, his offering is to be a fine flour, pours oil on it, puts incense on it, take it to incense son and priest, and the priest shall take a handful of the fine flour of oil together with the incense and burn it as a memorial portion on the altar, an offering made by fire. The rest of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons, as a most holy part of the offerings made to the Lord by fire. If you bring a grain offering baked in an oven, it must consist of fine flour, cakes made without yeast, mixed with oil or wafers without yeast, and spread with oil. And interesting that they sacrificed even of what was common. When I mean common, I don't mean low, because we see that it's fine flour, but... But what was an everyday part of their life, even bread, even something so simple as grain, was just the, the common part of your life. Nothing grand about it, just grain. Meat was a luxury for many of these people, as we've already seen. God doesn't want just the common, or just the, the great part of your life. We think of giving the great part of our life, and I'll, I'll give up my Sunday, I'll give up a part of my weekend, I'll give up something grand. But he says, I want more than that. I want the part of your everyday life. Take it out, and I, I want to be connected with that. I want you to offer that to me. Interesting that this fed the priests, and along with the other sacrifices, one of the things is that our, life, our lives are to be beneficial to others. Not everything was a burnt sacrifice only for God, but in offering it to God, it was also offered to other people. You have a portion of what is God's, but it is also to be beneficial for others. There is, in chapter 3, We'll kind of go back through here and, and wrap this, these up a little bit because I, I know that we're skipping through here. Uh, Leviticus chapter 3 and verse 5. He says, and here we're talking about the, what's called the fellowship offering or the peace offering. Aaron's sons are to burn this on the altar on the top of the burnt offering that is on the burning wood as an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. So if you're wondering, now this altar is about seven feet square. And you're wondering how this thing manages to, to do the sacrifices for an entire nation of people. Well, not everybody was bringing sacrifices every day because they would have to have a lot of animals. So, so they would probably bring them once, maybe twice a year, something like that. Uh, so, so there was enough. But what they start doing is stacking it. So I bring a, a burnt offering and another offering. Uh, so I put my the burnt offering on it. And, uh, and they, once that's kind of starting to go to charcoal... You know, it's not ash yet, it's charcoal. They slap the other one on top of it. And I just cook that and roast that and turn that until it's kind of cooked through a little bit. And, uh, and then they take the meat off of that. And, and that's what they distribute uh, to the priests and also to the people who brought it. We'll get there in just a second. But uh, interesting that this was the peace offering. Now the best part of the sacrifice was for the priests. Chapter 7 tells us that, as well as the fact that the shoulder was given to the one who brought it. 
And this was kind of one of the things that, that I learned as I was reading this. I was not aware of I always thought that the, the person who brought a sacrifice, brought the sacrifice, said to the priest, here you go, and uh, do your thing. And I'll just either watch or I'll go and I don't know what they did. But actually the person who brought these sacrifices killed it in front of the priest. They did, they got dirty too. And they also benefited from it. It was, this one wasn't just completely burnt up. And so you see that the relationship goes both ways. Both are involved, both God, priests, everybody's involved, but, but it's not just the the priest that got the benefit, it's not just God who got the benefit, not that you could say that this benefited him any, but it wasn't just, the, the sacrifice wasn't just done in the direction of God, if you think of it that way, but that God returned something even to the one who brought the sacrifice. And I want you to understand that we think of what we do here today, or during your week, as being a one-way thing sometimes. We think of what we're doing for God and what we're doing for God and what we're doing for church. And it is easy to forget how much is being done for us, how much is, is actually who's really getting the benefit of what happens. This is, you get to benefit from it too. A portion of this is what I return to you. I want to kind of combine the last two. There are differences in them, but we're just going to combine them because of the one lesson that we want to get out of these. In Leviticus chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, When anyone sins unintentionally and does, does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, if the anointed priest sins, bring guilt on the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull. So, so here's for even if the priests do it. He is to present the bull at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. He is to lay his hand on the head and slaughter before the Lord, and so on and so forth. I want to skip over to chapter 5. We're going to tie these both together because there is something similar. There's a slight difference and there's some similarities. In chapter 5, verse 1 through 3 says, If a person sins because he does not speak up when he hears a public charge to testify regarding something he has seen or heard about, he will be held responsible. A person touches anything ceremonially unclean, uh, the carcass of wild animals, unclean livestock, or unclean creatures that move along the ground, and he's unaware of it, then he has become unclean, he's guilty, or if it touches human uncleanness, anything that would make him unclean, even though he's unaware of it, when he learns of it, he shall be guilty. And so there's these two sacrifices. And you would think about how dedicated they were in their sacrifice. How many sacrifices do you need? Well, they had sacrifices for just in case. Just in case I'm not sure I might have done something wrong. Or I just found out today that something... Well, I didn't know. I, I didn't know when I did it. Listen. Even under the Old Testament, when God says that he overlooked ignorance, he didn't overlook ignorance all the time. To those who had a law, he said, listen, you're responsible. There's sacrifices for ignorance. Yeah, I'll, I'll overlook it. I'm not going to put you to death for everything you do. I didn't know. But you still have to bring a sacrifice for it. You still have to account for it. And 
the, the idea here, the big idea, there's two types of ignorance. The first one was in doing something wrong. They were not supposed to have done this thing, <clears throat> and they sinned and did something wrong. But the last one, guilt offering, was actually they were supposed to do something. So if someone had had made a, an oath to do something for God, and so they had it officially sworn, and then they're violating it. And I had kind of heard that person make that oath, or there was some testimony uh, that I, I could have testified about something, and I refused to do it. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Here's the big idea. There's two types of sins. And we talk a lot about doing the bad things, but there's also a sin of not doing the right thing. There's both. And I'm guilty for both, even if I didn't know it. If I learn about it, I need to make things right. I need to do things. And in fact, a portion of this, this text we would read later, there's a special uh, thing at the end of it. This is kind of like a, an additional clause at the end of these. And that is that if in doing any of these, these wrong things or failing to do the right things had cost somebody else property, and I didn't know about it, even if I didn't know about it, I have to make restitution. And it was at 20% interest, by the way. I had to make restitution for the thing. I, just, I didn't just get to get away with it. There was restitution that had to be made. I don't want to get too far into that. There's a lot of details. But I want to just look at some of the big ideas. I want to just kind of wrap up today with the big ideas. Can you get from this that God has tried to teach us how serious sin is? From noon, or morning till noon till night, they, they saw blood. And they saw death for the things that they had done. They were aware. And let me tell you, there were some financial things at stake. If this cost you that much, you start to get real. You start to realize, get the idea of exactly how costly sin is. Even the little ones, even the unintentional ones. There's a cost there. How great to live in a time where one sacrifice covered it all. Have you paid and played your part in the sacrifice? Have you played your role? Those people who brought the sacrifice had to participate, had to do some of the dirty work themselves, because guess what? They were bringing a sacrifice for their own dirty work, for their own sins. So God says you can get involved too. You can get a little dirty. Have you gotten involved? God's sacrifice, Christ dying on the cross, is a great opportunity this morning for you. But it's going to involve you making a decision. This morning you have to make a decision of how involved God is going to be. 
And have you offered yourself? Have you offered yourself to God? Here. Here is me. Do something with me. These are uh, the big ideas we want to take from, from the manual portion of the Old Testament.